Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. The Jeff Dean Show starts now. Good morning, Tucson, and welcome to the Jeff Dean Show. I am Jeff Dean here with you on this Tuesday morning, January the 25th, 2022. It is 7.02 on your Tucson Tuesday. It's a lot of two, 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 twos in there. And uh, you're listening live here on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson, as we are Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. <clears throat> Glad to be with you here after a... Uh, uh, a busy day on Monday, plenty of NFL discussed yesterday, and we'll continue to talk some NFL today as there are more things happening, injury reports, uh, some more news and such out there. The coaches for the teams that lost the divisional round of playoffs have spoken to the media. There were some interesting things said by some of them. We will uh, we will get into some of that, most most specifically, what they're talking about in Tampa and in Green Bay, because as you know, the questions about the future of their quarterbacks are certainly in question, um, or you know, certainly in play, I should say. And in one in one case, the the future of the head coach down in Tampa Bay, of course, what's going to happen with Bruce Arians? He's got essentially two head coaches in waiting in Todd Bowles, who has already had one go around as a head coach in the NFL. And Byron Lefwich, who has been deserving of a head coaching job for quite some time now and is definitely ready to take over an NFL team. It'll be interesting to see what happens down there, the dynamic. I think they're both fascinating stories about what either of those teams or both of those teams are going to look like at the start of the 2022 season. Um, you know, who will be the head coach, who's going to be the quarterback. Tampa Bay is is in position to lose several players you know, Chris Godwin, <clears throat> pardon me, my goodness, I've, was, I've literally been talking for the last 30 minutes without a problem, and now, of course, as soon as I mic up, my throat wants to be like, blah, blah. so my apologies, because <clears throat> I don't have a cough button here, is one of the uh, important, you know, things that uh, you, you kind of miss when you're not in a studio, is a, a cough button. Uh, anyway, there, you know, there, there are going to be questions about what the roster is going to look like in Tampa next year because like I said they're they're most likely going to be losing out on Chris Godwin uh what is the future of Rob Gronkowski he said he's going to need about three to five weeks to assess his situation and think things over you know he's uh he's going to be getting married soon which we never thought was going to happen with with Gronk but eventually he is going to settle down with Camille and uh Camille Kostek his uh his girlfriend slash fiance I believe they're they're engaged now um but uh, they seem to be very, very happy, which is great. Love to see them, you know, doing well. So it'll be interesting to see what uh, what Gronk decides to do. He looked like he was in a lot of pain in that game on Sunday. And, you know, he's he, you know, not getting any younger like the rest of us. The, you know, the the status of Leonard Fournette, not as dominant as he once was. Of course, you know, they'd be looking to uh, maybe change things out there at the running back position. You know, there's a lot of, of questions in the air in regards to personnel, and does Tom Brady view that as a rebuild, uh, as a reload? Who is the head coach he's going to be playing for? Who's the offensive coordinator he's going to be playing for? There's a lot of questions down there in Tampa. In regards to Green Bay, the questions are literally just, you know, what is going to happen with Aaron Rodgers? Is he going to continue to hold that franchise 
hostage, for lack of a better term. They're all just kind of – it. All, everybody just seems kind of – the last two years – just kind of waiting to see what Aaron Rodgers was going to do. What are we going to do with Aaron? Is he going to retire? Is he going to force us to trade him? Is he going to be come? Is he going to come in and everything's going to be fine? You know, what's the where's the breakdown in communication? We've won all these games with him, but can't seem to get to the Super Bowl. How do we change things up? Listen, there's just not a whole lot of room to with the salary cap and salaries the way they are, especially with high paid quarterbacks like Aaron Rodgers. It makes things very difficult to build a complete team around him. You have to just kind of hope that you get players that show out like Rasul Douglas did this year, a guy that they picked up off the waiver wire from the Arizona Cardinals that came in and and really gave the Packers a shot in the arm. You have to hope that guys are willing to restructure contracts because they like being there. Uh, They like being a part of the community or they love the coach or they just, you know, they just don't feel like moving. They just, you know, they're just loyal players. It's, you know, you kind of have to hope for those kinds of things. And then, you know, we talked about yesterday. I said, if I'm the Tennessee Titans, I'm on the phone with the Green Bay Packers today saying, what do you want for Aaron Rodgers? Okay, does Aaron Rodgers want to go to Tennessee? I mean, you know, I think he's always wanted to move closer to the West Coast, you know, get back close to home. He's going to be getting married pretty soon, apparently, to the the new girlfriend that, that he's got. And she's a West Coaster. He's obviously from NorCal, grew up in, in you know, in, in Northern California as a 49ers fan. The, the the dream of Aaron Rodgers going to the 49ers though I don't believe is ever going to happen. I I just I don't see that as a as a as an option anymore at this point. This it, it just it's just no longer going to fit. Uh the 49ers have moved on in their own direction. Um they're I mean certainly I mean and let's let's be honest here. If you if you, if you really watch the game film from that game on Saturday night and you kind of you just just focus on the second half when the bad weather came in. Jimmy Garoppolo was actually throwing the ball better. It didn't look as good, but he was certainly more effective than Aaron Rodgers was throwing the football. His completion percentage was higher in the second half, <clears throat> and he had a much higher yards per completion in the second half of that game. And look, credit the 49ers defense. 49ers defense was great, but Aaron Rodgers has been, been beating great defenses his entire life. So in that particular instance, it was Jimmy Garoppolo outdueling Aaron Rodgers in the second half of that game at Lambeau. And, you know, Aaron Rodgers, he, I think he deserves a lot of the blame. I, I said yesterday, I think 50% of the blame for that loss is heaped on Aaron Rodgers' shoulders, and I think 50% is on the remainder of the organization, whether it be the other 52 players on the roster, the other 45 on the on the you know the Saturday night uh, starting dressed roster, the coaches, the you know the the front office staff, you know the, the people who are not you know not the secretaries and things like that, uh, but obviously the decision makers, people who make a difference in in you know outcomes of football games. I, Aaron Rodgers wasn't good, and I was watching a, a breakdown. I, I'm not a big fan of Dan Orlovsky. I think a lot of his opinions are rather silly at times. But he is a you know he's a film junkie and he loves to break down film, which I'm cool with. Like I, I you know I like to break down film too. I'm I'm kind of a junkie that way. And he did a great job of breaking down Aaron Rodgers' film. And he is uh, he and I are in agreement. Aaron Rodgers did not play well in that game. He was forcing the ball to Devonte Adams every possible time he could even when he had other receivers wide open. He had his tight end wide open, not Mercedes Lewis, uh, the, the, the other guy. Um, I can't remember his name right now. DeGuarda, DeGuara. Uh, had him wide open on several occasions. And instead, he either decided to scramble 
and ended up in an incompletion, or he tried to force the ball to Devontae, and maybe it was a completion in a couple of instances. It was a completion for, you know, four, seven yards, whatever, but he had a tight end wide open, and the 49ers just uh, continued to allow it to happen. Like, hey, until you throw it to this guy, we're just going to leave him alone. Um, And, look, Aaron Rodgers was only trusting in the one player that he felt like he could trust. You know, after he threw that ball to Mercedes Lewis and Fred Warner came in and Peanut punched it out of there, he stopped throwing the football to anybody else. He was only throwing the ball to A.J. Jones, uh, or A.J. Jones, uh, um, the uh, his his running back, Aaron Jones, sorry. Uh, he was only throwing the ball to Aaron Jones or Devontae Adams. He only threw three, three balls to other people the remainder of the game after the Mercedes Lewis fumble. There was the L- L- Lazard incompletion, the Randall Cobb completion, and a completion to one other player. You know, he completed 20 passes in that game, 18 of them, were to Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones. He only had two completions to anybody else in that game, which is incredible. Like, like, what are you doing just forcing the football to those people? Uh, so I feel like Aaron Rodgers des- deserves a heap of the blame for the reason that the Green Bay Packers are sitting at home right now. And look, I- I've, I've been supportive of Aaron Rodgers and his ability on a football field uh, as long as I can remember. I, I've, I've always wanted him to be a 49er. I wanted him to be a 49er the year that he came out of the draft. But I'm able to look at things subjectively, and I feel like, you know, in, in this particular instance, he deserves a lot of the blame. And maybe now that you, you see what happened in that game and how he was – trying to force the ball or trying to do too much with, with one guy or two guys, you start to think about all the other losses. Like maybe we missed it in that previous one. Maybe we blamed it on, you know, the defense for giving up 26 points in the game or, you know, whatever. And, and you start to think about it. You're like, Man, maybe it was Aaron Rodgers. Maybe, maybe he just is that guy that can't win the big game. I mean, there have been plenty of guys out there that have done it. You know, people talk about Dan Marino all the time. Oh, he never had any help. He never had a running game. Well, let's also remember that the reason we talk about Dan Marino and the way that we do is because his numbers are insane. Like for the time in the, you know, the 80s, those numbers he was putting up were ridiculous numbers because they didn't run the football. Uh, you know, if, if the Miami Dolphins had had a running game, Dan Marino wouldn't have thrown 48 touchdowns in 1984. He wouldn't have thrown for 5,000 yards. I mean, it's, it, it, everything changes at that point. Sure, you trade statistics for a championship in that particular instance. That's the way the uh, the organization was run. They felt like they could win a championship, and you got a guy like Dan Marino, ridiculously talented. Uh, there's you know there's not a throw in in the game that he couldn't make, but sometimes you know you don't have that good balance. You you, you trade uh, statistics and you know you trade a philosophy for a championship, and you don't willingly do it. You think that you can win it, but in the end, you look back and you're like, man. I wish we could have run the ball better. I wish we could have played defense a little bit better, or, or defended the run, or had a had a you know spent some money on a big time nose tackle, or uh, you know whatever whatever the reason being. But I think what we're seeing right now is that if you have a quarterback who's willing to distribute the football around, and you have a defense who can get stops in big moments, that is the difference between you going home and you moving on. Jimmy Garoppolo in that game was distributing the football around. They have a dynamic player in Debo Samuel who is not being discussed enough around the league at the impact that he has not only on that football team but on the league and now on the playoffs and potentially a run at a Super Bowl. 
and and they have a defense obviously that it just is was completely lights out in that game. We've seen them just dominate entire halves of football games to where uh, the opposing offense just cannot move the ball. Uh, it's we 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 saw it in in week 18 against the Rams. The Rams opened up to a huge lead in that game. It was looking like the 49ers were going to get stomped and and you know have a a unceremonious exit from the from the NFL season and not make the playoffs. The defense showed up and in the essentially in what what was going to be the 27 of the final 30 minutes of that game before the Rams had themselves a, you know a, a couple of big plays on an impressive drive to tie the game up, the Rams had 21 yards of offense in the second half. 21 I mean that's what a that's what a 49ers defense can do. And when you when you look at what happened in the divisional game against the Packers, they they give up the the drive, what was it, 69 yards I think on the on the opening drive there. Easy 69 yards for the Green Bay Packers. After that, outside of the big passing play to Aaron Jones, they had 84 yards of offense. <laughs> it, it's 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 unbelievable how good the defense is. And just how important it is to that football team, obviously. And there's other teams that are moving on that are going to be playing this weekend that were able to feature a defense that was able to shut people down in big moments. One of them is not the Kansas City Chiefs. Josh Allen completely torched them. That was literally the case of who gets the ball last is going to win the game. Um, and we talked about that at length yesterday, and many people have been. So this is going to be a, a really, really enticing championship Sunday coming up. I think the matchups are great. I know that Vegas has some pretty lengthy odds on certainly the AFC game. I think the Chiefs are right now a seven and a half point favorite. That line has kind of gone back and forth between the hook and no hook, seven and a half and seven. Um, and you know my rule: I never bet sevens. If there's a seven in it, I don't, I don't bet it in football. Just can't do it. It's too volatile. The 49ers right now a three point dog opened up as a three and a half point dog. That moved to a three point dog. I. To be honest with you, I still can't understand it. Um, in Week 18, the Niners played in front of a 75% home crowd in Los Angeles. The the Rams organization is trying their best to keep 49er fans out, but apparently the ticket market uh, for the on, on the secondary market, the ticket prices have escalated to like right around $700 for upper deck seats, which is telling me that NorCal fans are buying tickets to the game. And it may be a 50-50 or worse, uh, you know, a pro 49er crowd in Los Angeles. This is a football team who has beaten the Los Angeles Rams six consecutive times. And if you look at the history of the NFL, at least at least uh, in, in terms of divisional teams who have played one another twice, okay, where the outcome was was two wins for one team, zero wins for the other. Those teams have met. 17 times in the playoffs, okay? So in a season where a divisional team was 2-0 against another team, they have met in the playoffs again 17 times in the history of the NFL. The 2-0 team is 13-4. and I, I mean, it, it's, it's – <laughs> there's a reason why teams continue to beat on one another at the pro level. We can the, – the, the old adage of, oh, um, you know, it's hard to beat a team three times in the same season – that works in college, okay? That's you know that's something that we talk about in college or beat the same team twice in the, in the season of football. That works in college. At the pro level, it's very different. There's 
if you've got it figured out, you got it figured out, and there's nothing you can do about it. If you've got better dudes in in better places, and you got better coaches that can figure things out, and, and have have worked out a scheme that is for some reason confounding to the opposing side, you've got them. Like you've got them beat. And Kyle Shanahan right now has Sean McVay completely confounded. Sean McVay cannot beat Kyle Shanahan. Has not been able to in three plus years. So that's the matchup in the NFC Championship game. It is it is going to be incredible football to watch. I can't wait for Sunday. A full slate of uh, you know full slate of action there starting at one o'clock and uh, should be really really good for uh, for everybody. And, and of course we'll have all the coverage for you on Monday. And we'll continue to talk about the NFL championships uh, NFL championship weekend coming out throughout the uh, throughout the week here on the Jeff Dean Show as we prepare to get you ready for whatever it is for betting or viewing pleasures whatever have you and uh, enjoy your weekend of football. Um, speaking of football, we're going to be joined by Matt Moreno coming up at 8.30. So in about an hour or so from now, Matt Moreno, the senior editor of GoAZCats and Rivals.com. There have been uh, some movements in the world of recruiting as far as because now that all of the like the exhibition games you know that are that are going on the high school exhibition games are over that season is over essentially with the, with the Polynesian Bowl uh, capping off the season essentially this past Sunday the the final rankings of the players and not that it not that it means a, you know a hill of beans to anybody but it is nice to kind of see a statistical numerical ranking of how your team has done in the off season as far as it improving itself in the freshman class. So those numbers are going to come out at some point this week over the next couple of days as the uh, the two services, 247 Sports and Rivals, uh, both decide to settle on where they're going to rank the individual players. Uh, Arizona does have a legitimate five-star recruit this year in Titsuroa McMillan. We will talk with Matt Moreno about that. We'll talk with him about the Polynesian Bowl, what we saw there, because Arizona had six players in that Polynesian Bowl. Uh, they have returned to the Polynesian recruiting, and I, for one, am here for it. Um, we'll also talk with Matt about football's final week of recruiting as Arizona is hitting the road hard this week. They're, uh, they're, they're in Las Vegas. They're in Southern California. Um, I believe Jed went back east uh, to go look at some things. So we'll talk with Matt about that, and we'll talk some basketball recruiting with him as well because, as you know, the crown jewel of Tucson is Arizona men's basketball. They are in action tonight. We will absolutely get into the game against UCLA coming up as we try to keep things uh, live and local here. I have a, a full breakdown and preview and keys to the game for Arizona's game against UCLA tonight. We'll also talk some Suns basketball as they beat the Jazz last night in Phoenix. And uh, Chris Paul, just a massive game last night. Um, even without DeAndre Ayton, the Utah Jazz playing without Rudy Gobert, so kind of an even little uh, you know trade there as far as those two teams go. Uh, but the Phoenix Suns just continue winning, continue dominating, and last night a 115-109 victory over the Jazz. We're going to take a timeout. When I return, we'll start talking about the big game tonight in Los Angeles, Arizona men's basketball taking on the Bruins. We'll talk about that next right here on the Jeff Dean Show. Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Now back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. 
Well, it's the game we've all been waiting for, the fans at least. Obviously, the coaches and the players are playing it off. It's just another game. We're going to play another game after this. We're going to play another game after that, another game after that, so on and so forth, until we get to a point where we can no longer play games because they tell us we can't play anymore. Um, And and that's, that's the way you need to go about it because if you get yourself too hyped for something like this, you have a tendency to try to do things that are out of your realm, uh, you know, try to do things that are that are you know, going to cause your team trouble, basically, by trying to play hero ball or whatever have you, trying to do too much. Um, and we see that a lot of times out of young players that you try to do too much, which is, you know, going to be one of the one of the issues tonight for Arizona is their inexperience versus UCLA's experience because UCLA runs a I mean, I mean, look, they, they run three juniors and two seniors out there, and they're starting five, and then they back that up with more juniors and seniors. Like it's, it's, They've got a very, very experienced team and a team who made a deep run into the postseason last year. Now, let's start breaking down the game. The, 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 the little particulars here. Game, of course, is going to be tipping off at Pauley Pavilion at 9 p.m. tonight. On the call on ESPN will be Dave Pash and Bill Walton, who did the ASU-USC game last, last night, so they could stay in L.A., after an apparent bomb threat was called in uh, immediately following the game, I guess Los Angeles uh, DPS got a call saying that there was a vehicle outside packed with explosives outside the Galen Center. Yikes. Um, they later found out that it was a false report, and I don't know which Hurley called it in, but uh, you know it was a little bit too late. Arizona State had already given up a 22 to 21-2 run, and we're out of that game pretty much at halftime. Uh, anyway, I digress. So the game going to be in uh, in Los Angeles, of course, 9 p.m. on ESPN. Now, UCLA's two losses this year are to Gonzaga. That was a a, uh, a neutral site game they played in Las Vegas, and then they lost to Oregon in overtime at home. Now, if you look at the Gonzaga, they were blown out by Gonzaga. I mean, that, that game was over at halftime. Uh, Gonzaga was up 45-25 at the half. Both teams played even throughout the second half. Gonzaga ends up winning by a score of 83-63. to in that game, Gonzaga's starting five went off like they were, like they they had themselves a night. Andrew Nembhard, their uh, point guard, had a huge night. He was nine of thirteen from the field, had twenty four points. Chet Holmgren had fifteen points, six boards, two steals, four block shots. Like he had a nice a, a nice uh, game there in about twenty eight minutes. Only only twenty eight minutes played. Drew Timmy had a tremendous game. Played basically all forty minutes. Of that game, he scored 18 points, had eight rebounds. Julian Strother, their off guard, um, had a nice game as well. He scored 12, uh, went to the free throw line a bunch, was two of six from beyond the arc. The the, the, the starting five for, for Gonzaga really dominated that basketball game. And for UCLA, it was a struggle to get the ball over the likes of Chet Holmgren and Drew Timmy, who were patrolling the lane. Jaime Jaquez, normally an extremely efficient shooter, was 7 of 22 from the field. He led, uh, he, he led UCLA in scoring that night. He scored 19 points in the game. Johnny Juzang was largely ineffective in that game, only one of three from beyond the arc, only attempting three-pointers, uh, three, three-pointers, should I say. Uh, Jules Bernard only scored seven points. Now, they didn't have Cody Riley for that game, which is a obviously a, a huge thing for, for UCLA. Miles Johnson, the transfer, uh, 6'10 transfer, big guy, got um, he got the start in that game, only played 19 minutes. He got into foul trouble uh, early on, and it limited his time. So it forced 
UCLA to kind of scramble. Jalen Clark had to play a bunch in that game as well. So it's it's hard to take away from there saying, well, if Gonzaga beat him by 20, we can beat him by 20. It's two different entities, right? There's there's different players, different philosophies, and different dynamics to that game. So it's it's something we can look at, and it's something that we can kind of say, okay, Gonzaga had some success inside with two bigs, a lot like what Arizona does, where they have two bigs essentially in there. They have the center and the forward, and you have a seven footer and a six foot ten guy, and, and the you know the the six ten player is is very athletic, can step out and shoot, uh, much like Azulis Tabellis is. And you know that that has caused some problems for for UCLA this year. Now, when you look at the common opponents for Arizona and UCLA, UCLA has been, let's just call them, less than dominant in recent wins over Cal, Utah, and Colorado. Meanwhile, the Wildcats have set an unprecedented Pac-10 slash Pac-12 record by winning three consecutive road games by 25 or more points, and they completely crushed the Rocky Mountain schools at McHale Center two weeks ago. So when you look at the the resumes between the two teams of the common opponents, you see a lot of close scores, you know, four and six and eight-point games for UCLA and 25 to 30-point games for Arizona. Now, again, you, you, point margin isn't everything. Uh, matchups matter. Where you play matters. When you played matters. Remember, UCLA had that really long layoff, and since then, they haven't. They just haven't been quite right. I mean, they they destroyed Long Beach State, who was their first opponent after coming off the three week COVID break. Uh, they beat Oregon State like a drum. Um, not a big deal. I mean, most people are most teams are beating Oregon State uh, pretty badly this year, and uh, and I would expect. I mean, what, yeah, Arizona won that game by about thirty against Oregon State earlier this year, so. Yeah, <laughs> so um, not a whole lot to take away there, but I thought it was noteworthy just to kind of look at it and say the teams that UCLA is beating by six, Arizona was beating by twenty-five. Let's we can just leave it at that. Again, I'm not going to use that as as my end-all, be-all comparison to these two teams, and neither should you. But uh, it's it's something of note, so something to keep in mind of the common opponents that they've had. Arizona has decimated their opponents, where UCLA has often struggled to put theirs away. The Bruins, I, I will say this, and we'll take a break here. And actually, I have some tickets to give away. Let's, let, let's, let's do that right now. I'm just going to do it right I'm kind of scatterbrained here. I've got all kinds of notes here. I've got a lot of things going on. Uh, we got that family four-pack of Tucson Roadrunners tickets to give away. We're going to open up. It's a text to win, so I've got like 10 minutes here, like a 10-minute window that I can open up the texting to. So let's do it right now. Star Wars Night versus Bakerfield coming up this Saturday. We're going to give away a family four-pack of tickets uh, right now. We're going to register you to win. I want you to text the word ROADRUNNERS to 68683. The number is 68683. Text ROADRUNNERS if you want to try to win those uh, that family four-pack of tickets to Star Wars Night this Saturday uh, in Tucson there against the uh, Bakersfield Condors. And uh, that's, again, texting the word ROADRUNNERS to 68683. Good luck. Get about a 10-minute window here to open it up and uh, get you registered. And uh, may the force be with you. Now, before we go to break, as, as I'm kind of looking at UCLA, I went back and looked through some of their games. Um, and, and I've seen, like, I've watched UCLA play several times this year. I, I mean, I guess I don't want to say I'm unimpressed. They're a very good basketball team. Very good basketball team. And their style lends 
to, to believe that they're not going to just destroy. They're not going to blow teams out. It's like watching Sean Miller's teams from, from back. I mean, solid, very good. Like, you, you can watch a nearly flawless execution of a game plan, and the team would win by 13 points. Like, it's it just it, – they're not – they're stylistically not going to just destroy teams by 35 points. It's just not who they are. But I will say this. I don't know if they're as good as the number next to their name indicates. And I'll tell you why. Next, you're listening to The Jeff Dean Show. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Back to The Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Welcome back to the Jeff Dean Show here, Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. Now, discussing the UCLA U of A game tonight, the Bruins, number seven in the AP, I've, I've cautioned you to <laughs> wade into the Associated Press poll with, uh, wade into those waters with, with caution, because it's not the end-all, be-all. If you look at some of the AP voters, I think one AP voter... Uh, a guy who covers is an AP voter at the Oregonian it ranked Arizona 11th in the AP behind teams that have like five losses like Villanova he ranked them behind Sparty who's barely even ranked right now like it's 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 atrocious again i like to look at the Ken Palm rankings the NCAA net rankings and I'll throw in the Jeff Sagren rankings if you throw those in UCLA right now is the number 16 NCAA net team in the country. They are the number 13 Ken Palm team, and they're the number 12 Sagarin team. Okay. That is around where I think UCLA is realistically. I think they're around the 14th or the 15th best team in this country right now as it stands in college basketball. They're not the top five team or the top two team or whatever that a lot of people have anointed them. In fact, the Bruins' heralded position as a top-10 team is more a result of the preseason rankings and expectations than it is of their resume. They they do have a nice win over Villanova. It was an overtime win. Um, they played at, at home against Villanova. That is a really, really good win. Can't take that away from them. The win against Marquette was also a really good win. Marquette is a good basketball team. That was a good win for UCLA. Nothing nothing wrong with those wins. Outside of that, they you know, their best win is Colorado outside of those and they've lost the other two times that they've had the chance to play a quad one team. They had the deep run in the in the in the tournament last year. They were an 11 seed, remember? They had to play in the play-in game to even get in to the weekend's tournament. They had to beat Michigan State, which they did. They beat them uh, it was like 68-60 or something like that. Uh, they beat Michigan State in the play-in game to get into the tournament, and they made a deep run, as did USC, who was an Elite Eight team who knocked out Oregon in the Sweet 16. Oregon State, who made it to the Elite Eight as well. Colorado had a win in the postseason. In fact, the Pac-12 in the 2021, uh, 2021 NCAA tournament had the most wins, 13, and the best winning percentage, 72% of all the conferences in the tournament. The Pac-12 did extremely well in the tournament, better than any other conference last year. And I think it was a surprise to everybody. 
I mean, Oregon State going through the teams that they went through. They beat Tennessee. Uh, you know, I mean, they went through a gauntlet to get to the Elite Eight where they, you know, finally had, you know, had to bow out. UCLA had themselves a great run, obviously, to the Final Four. I mean, just an, an incredible run and played a a ridiculously exciting game against Gonzaga, a game that Gonzaga won 93-90 in the end to put themselves into the championship game against Baylor, who just dominated everybody last year in the tournament. So, again, they were a product. It wasn't like the one lone Pac-12 team that busted out and had a deep run. There are many people, Mick Cronin, head coach of UCLA included, that believe that Arizona last year, that Sean Miller's Arizona team last year, would have also played well in the NCAA tournament. They were a young team, but as we know (laughs) by watching this year's team, just how talented they are. Um, And a lot of people believe that if not for the self-imposed sanctions by the University of Arizona Athletic Department, that they also would have had a nice showing at the NCAA tournament as well. They would have have qualified, absolutely. Um, And they would have had a nice showing at the NCAA tournament as well. Who knows how far they could have gone. So the Pac-12 as a whole was really, really strong last year. Obviously, they you know, that you know that that is proven by the play against other teams in the tournament in, a, in, a, in an unprecedented year. Yes, in the COVID year, but nonetheless, still uh, fair play against uh, against all the teams there. I, I just I can't, I can't help but think that like the, the 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 praise and everything that was heaped upon a team who returned everybody from a Final Four run last year may have been a little bit. I'm not trying to take anything away from UCLA. They are a very good basketball team. They are very talented. They have a lot of interchangeable parts, which we'll get into here in a moment. But I don't think they're this irresistible force of college basketball that a lot of people have anointed them. This is going to be a great matchup, but I'm not trying to take anything away from that. If and when Arizona beats UCLA tonight, it is going to be a great resume builder for Tommy Lloyd and the Wildcats as they move on throughout the rest of their season in the Pac-12 and into the Pac-12 tournament and eventually into the NCAA tournament. It's a, it's a great resume builder, and it's also going to be a great test of their toughness because Mick Cronin's teams play that style of basketball. They are a tough basketball team, and Arizona is going to be well-scouted, believe you me. Okay, That is a good coaching staff that Cronin has there. There's a reason why they were able to make a, a deep run into the tournament last year and the reason why they are having success again this year. I just don't want people to think like that this UCLA team is, you know, they're, they're you know, one of the best teams in the country. I mean, they are up there. Um, I just feel like let's, let's pump the brakes a little bit on, on calling them the elite team in the conference. I've been that way all year. This is before they even tipped off basketball this season. When people would ask me, like, you know, how do you, how do you rank the, the Pac-12? I'm like, well, I mean – if Arizona puts it all together, there's no reason why they can't be the best team in the conference. There's no reason why if Dana Altman is able to get all those pieces working together that Oregon couldn't win first place in the Pac-12. And let's not sleep on USC, who plays great defense and returns Isaiah Mobley, who's a fantastic, uh, fantastically improved player. There's no reason that they couldn't take over first place. I just wasn't going to sit here and anoint UCLA a 20-0 winner of the Pac-12 and just dominate everybody. I, I just don't feel like they're that team. Again, they're a very good basketball team, and this is going to be a stout test for Arizona, their biggest test possibly of the year because Pauley Pavilion is apparently going to be full of people because the city of Los Angeles said, okay, 
Uh, let's see, we've got Arizona coming to town. Everybody go ahead and start buying your tickets for the game. On Friday, they were like, everybody, the floodgates opened. The, the, the box office was, was filled with people and said, come on forward and buy your tickets for the game. We need all the help we can get. Uh, so, interestingly enough, there will be fans at UCLA tonight in Poly Pavilion for the game against Arizona, which, look, it's good for both teams, to be honest with you. Like, they, they, players want to play in front of the fans, especially guys like Kirk Creasa, who feed off of the negative energy from fans uh, almost as much as he feeds off the positive energy from the Wildcat fans. Now, looking at UCLA, what is their style? Like, what, what do we expect out of UCLA? When you look at their, their starting lineup, okay, as I mentioned before, three juniors and two seniors in that starting lineup. It's a collection of interchangeable wings who are extremely physical and aggressive in you know, Juzang, Haquez, and Jules Bernard. Jules Bernard plays the two for the most part. Uh, uh, Juzang plays the three, and Haquez plays the four, but they move them around a lot. Uh, because they're all six foot seven, they're all they all look the same. They're all built the same way, the same height. They have a lot of familiar game to one another. It's it's an interesting piece uh, and collection of of players that Mick Cronin gets to work with there on the wings. They've got, in my opinion, a top tier point guard in Tiger Campbell who continues to improve. I saw Tiger. I remember seeing Tiger as a freshman turning the ball over left and right. Lots of indecision. Um, whether he you know just pull you know with a stop-and-pop three from 24 feet out, which was a terrible shot at the beginning of the, of the shot clock, to turning the ball over, to driving in and making lazy shots, not using his body to defend himself from blocked shots, to eventually turning into the player that he is today, which is a dynamite three-point shooter, a guy who does not turn the ball over hardly at all. If you, turn the, if you get a, a, a steal or something from Tiger Campbell, keep the damn ball, take a picture. It doesn't happen very often. Okay? He is a, he, in my opinion, he's their best player. And I know that Johnny Juzang with his 26 points a game in the tournament was tremendous, and he is a tremendous scorer. And Jaime Jaquez is this kind of do-everything, 3-4, you know, combo 3-4 kind of wing player, strong, aggressive, gets to the rim, can shoot, plays great defense, a good rebounder, smart guy. You know, I mean, he, you know, he kind of does all, but, but in my opinion, Tiger Campbell's their best player. He's the guy that, that makes everything go. He's a little bit undersized. He's about 5'11", but he's tough, he's quick, and he's got phenomenal handles. And he's really, really improved his jump shot this year. His three-point shooting, he's shooting like 45% from three this year, which is incredible. And they have above-average rim protection with Cody Riley and Miles Johnson, the two centers that they like to interchange in and out of there. So they're a, they're a very difficult team to handle because of matchups, and McCronin does a great job of putting them in positions to where they can take advantage of those matchups. They run a full complement of offenses. Uh, they prefer to use their size and experience by winning in the half court, but they love to drive and kick out to the three-point shooters. Okay, So Arizona's going to have to be cognizant of that. They don't move a whole lot. It's not a, a, a high-motion type of offense. They will make subtle movements. They'll set screens, obviously, uh, because they run a full complement of offenses. But a, a drive and kick is is a, a, a move that they use very, very often. They rely on the drive and kick a lot. So Arizona's perimeter defenders are going to have to keep with their defensive fundamentals all the way until the ball goes up. Uh, if if he's you know if you're ball watching and uh, you know a, a, one of their one of their players drives and you turn your back to one of their shooters, 
they will make an adjustment, slide over into a spot where they're comfortable shooting, and they'll get the ball and they'll shoot it in rhythm, and now all of a sudden you look like a fool. So you're going to have to make sure you keep an eye on your man. You know, get into a position where you have to box him out or we can get to the rim, but also make sure that he's not running to a, a spot for a kick and, and shoot. So Arizona's going to have to be real careful of that, not to watch the ball when, it, you know, when, it's, when it's being driven into the lane because UCLA will use that as part of their offense. Defensively, their ball pressure is aimed at continually pushing teams further from the basket. They, they challenge catches more than they challenge passes. It's a, it's a difficult defense to deal with. Um, over the, you know, over the, the, the last couple of years, we've seen Arizona's offense, you know, specifically just watching the Arizona games. As they're running their offense, they're getting further and further and further from the basket. They're handing the ball off 26, 28, 30 feet from the basket. Next thing you know, there's eight seconds left on the clock. You've got a ball isolated, and there's 30, you're 36 feet from the basket. That's a problem, okay? Arizona's going to have to be, be, be on the lookout for that because they're going to challenge your catches. They're not going to challenge your passes. They don't step into passing lanes and get steals. They're not like that. But what they do is as soon as the ball comes to you, they're in your face. And, I mean, they are in your face as soon as you catch the ball. So Arizona on offense will need to exhibit some solid fundamental ball protection as soon as they catch the ball. Don't get lazy. Don't swing the ball around to in front of you because then they will grab it from you. They'll knock it out of your hands, and now it's their ball. So don't, don't expect them to jump into passing lanes, but be ready. When you catch the ball, they're on you quick, and they're in your face, and they're being physical. Arizona's got to be contentious uh, of that and be ready for that and uh, uh, exhibit good fundamental ball handling skills as soon as they catch the ball. What else can we expect out of tonight's game? We'll talk about that next. You're listening here to The Jeff Dean Show. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. More of The Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Welcome back to The Jeff Dean Show here. Just a final little segment here for hour number one. We're continuing to talk... Arizona versus UCLA tonight. Coming up after the uh, after the break, at the top of the 8 o'clock hour, I'll have my three keys to an Arizona victory. Then we'll be joined by Matt Moreno coming up at 8.30. We're going to talk some Wildcat recruiting and the Polynesian Bowl and what we can expect out of uh, some of those uh, young men that we saw showing out on the, uh, on the football field on Sunday as Arizona had six players six recruits in the Polynesian Bowl and uh, several of them included were were involved in some big plays some of them even on the same play on both sides of the ball uh it was a fun fun little showcase for uh uh not only for everybody involved but for specifically for the recruits coming to Tucson this upcoming season so we'll talk with with our our special our guru of recruiting Matt Moreno coming up at uh, at 8 30 after the uh, in the eight o'clock hour there also going to talk some Suns basketball. Big night for the Phoenix Suns last night as they beat the Utah Jazz in Phoenix. And uh, we'll talk about some of the upcoming games and how you can listen to them right here on ESPN Tucson. The the UCLA Bruins, when you look at like their statistics and their national rankings and statistics, look, they're not going to jump off the page. Uh, they are not a team that is going to statistically scare you the way that Arizona does. You look at Arizona – and you look at their national rankings, and it's like number one, number one, number one, number one, number two, number one, number three, number one. It's, you know, the statistically Arizona just jumps off a page. You're like, my God, this team is best in the country at this and best in the country at that. UCLA, 
it, 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 think about think about this in the in the you know the twelve years that Arizona was was coached by Sean Miller, they were always in the top thirty in team defense. Okay, other than that, they always had one of the best rebounding percentages in the country, and were a really great assist to turnover ratio team. Okay, UCLA is basically the same way. They they have a good rebounding percentage. Not an elite rebounding team. They're very good, though. Uh, Miles Johnson gives them a completely different look. He's a tenacious offensive rebounder. Um, but their assist-to-turnover ratio, Tiger Campbell, I, I, you know, I mentioned if, if you steal the ball from Tiger Campbell, keep it and take a picture. He's number two in the entire country in assist-to-turnover ratio. So <laughs> that's out of all the individual players in the country, he's number two. He doesn't turn the ball over. He's very efficient. Um, and that's what UCLA is. They're extremely efficient. They're, extreme, they're extremely efficient in the half court, and they have athletes to make sure that you don't break out and beat them on fast break all night long. It's, it's going to be a difficult test for Arizona. And when we return here after the short break, we just have the quick little two-minute turnaround here at the top of the hour. I'll come back and I'll tell you my three keys to an Arizona victory. We'll talk about that coming up immediately after the break. In addition to all the other things that are going to be happening here on the Jeff Dean Show here in hour number two. Stick around. Plenty more to come here on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. It's Jeff Dean Show back in two minutes. Casino Del Sol Studio, the soul of Tucson. This is ESPN Tucson. KFFN Tucson. KWCX Tanka Verde. KMXZ HD4 Tucson.